Get some recipes. Yeah. Yes, sir. I can't believe you've done this. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming life's challenges. The Evolve community is your ultimate destination for personal growth and evolution. True to form, I'm, I get to continue to be the dumbest person in the room. That's fantastic. Thank you. Did you ever get a, uh, uh, a quantum physical uh, explanation for how to uh, bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Bake a meatloaf from a porn star? So we appreciate you joining us. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be with you, and it's good to do anything long as it's with you, man. You know how much I love you. <laughs> you as well. So, Rod, like we were talking about in our pre-show, we like to start the show by asking our guests what's inspiring them. Is there some sort of music you're listening to? Is there a book you're reading? Is there a person in your life? What's inspiring Ron Williams today? Well, what's inspiring me today? What's, what has inspired me since I was 28 years old is my relationship with God. But since then, I mean, I could I could talk all day about that, but I'm gonna tell you another person that really inspires me. And uh, and that's my wife, man. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going through something currently right now with her mom and just watching the way she deals with it, man. And uh, she's just probably, she's, she's the strongest person I know. She told me when we got married, she said, how many people do you know? I said, um, I don't know. She said, maybe 3,000. I said, that's a lot of people. She said, well, I'm smarter, 3,000, the 3,000 people, you know, I'm the smartest person you know. And over the years, man, we've been together. So, you know, for, for over 15 years, she is the smartest person I know, man. So, uh, <laughs> that's she's awesome. really, she really inspires me just watching the way she does life. That's great. It's always amazing to have somebody in your life or to have people in your life that can inspire you to be your best and uh, set that great example for you as well. So great to hear that your Especially wife Especially when you live with them. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's another side to that. She tells me very clearly when I'm not being my best. <laughs> Good. You need that. Yeah, you need that. I think we all do. Isn't, 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 that, what, isn't that what inspiring does? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that challenges personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. I want to welcome Tiago's personal chef coming to us from Oberlin, Ohio, is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. You've been you've been plating the food well for Tiago, I'm assuming. I've been plating the food well, and he's been enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> Good. And the Brian Piccolo to Ron Williams, Gail Sayers, coming to you from the mountains of Utah. I'm Steve Cutler. Today's guest is a man who, when I called him for the first time, made me wonder if I dialed the wrong number. Because instead of answering the phone by saying hello like a normal person, he picked up the phone and said, praise the Lord. Pastor Ron Williams, welcome to the episode. We're excited to have you. Thanks, Steve. I thought praise the Lord was normal, man. So yeah, I I'm, think I'm, it is for you. And if you answered the phone any other way nowadays, I would think something was wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for our listeners who may not know Ron, Ron is one of the most decorated. I know, Ron, I'm going to change your bio here. I think you are the most decorated natural bodybuilder in the world. Um by applying his knowledge of nutrition, fat loss, exercise, physiology muscle development and body sculpting, Ron achieved the highest honor ever given in natural bodybuilder bodybuilding by becoming the sole recipient of Natural Bodybuilder of the Decade Award. Ron has won wow. over 250 titles in the natural bodybuilding arena, including being the seven-time winner of each of the top bodybuilding titles, Mr. Natural Universe, Natural Olympia, and Mr. Natural World. Ron was inducted into the International Natural Bodybuilding Association's Hall of Fame in 2008, 
and he has devoted his life to educating, inspiring, coaching, and encouraging people. As a nationally recognized motivational and inspirational speaker, he has a unique connection with his audience that stems from his personal journey of the physical and spiritual transformation. The principles that Ron uses in his own life and teaches uh, others are easy to embrace, they're simple to understand, and they're very straightforward in their application. Ron has a unique approach to education and inspiring philosophy uh, that combines being physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually active and healthy. Ron's desire is to equip individuals with the necessary tools to live a life of being healthy, happy, and whole. Ron is also the creator of a revolutionary workout machine called the Iron Chest Master, which we'll talk about in the show here. Uh, this machine maximizes the development of muscle size, muscle strength, and completely defines and sculpts the chest, shoulders, triceps, and abdominals. So once again, Ron Williams, we are excited to have you. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Well, thanks, man. After you read that bio, I'm like, I want to meet that guy you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> He's a pretty cool guy. I've known him for a lot of years. <laughs> Ron, I was thinking about, a, a, you know, what, what was the first question that I wanted to dive in with you? I've known you for uh, probably two decades now. Um, and the, the thing that popped out to me the most, you gave a speech at a conference some time ago where you told a story and you talked about what it's like to have the mind of a champion. Um, and it was a, it was a pretty impactful, pretty powerful story. I've heard you tell that story before and then I saw it in a video and I loved how you defined the mind of a champion. So for our listeners out there, from a guy who has won all of these different uh, bodybuilding championships, how would you define the mind of a champion? Well, uh, one is it's uh, in the sport of bodybuilding or in, you know, bodybuilding is a, is a, uh, is a sport that we participate in and it's something that we do. Uh, but a real champion is it's who you are. And that's in, it's, it's, it's a real balance that comes with that with, for me, faith, family, fitness, and finances, those mm. things balance because you can win a championship and be horrible to ev everything else. You may not know how to manage your money. You, you, you may go bankrupt. You may have horrible relationships, but a true champion uses those principles and they, they're transferable into other areas of your life. Winning a championship is what you do. Being a champion is who you are. I'm a champion when I take the trash out, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a champion <laughs> trash taker out. Of so, yeah, uh, I and, love and, that. And the thing about a champion is they always have goals in front of them. And one of the things I failed to do uh, early on in life is to set goals in every area of my life. I was really imbalanced. And um, if you're not balanced, you have to set goals in your relationship with God. You have to set goals in your marriage. You have to set goals in your athletic ability or your health, your finances, and then set some, um, some, um, some, some points that you have to reach. You're always striving to be better because if you don't, that area that you don't have a goal that you're not striving in, it takes the back seat. It's almost like the squeaky wheel gets the oil, man. Yeah. So two questions from that. Number one, when you're a champion trash taker outer, are you wearing your posing trunks? And then the second <laughs> question is, how do your neighbors feel about that? <laughs> well, the first question, um, what the Lord, <laughs> the Lord helped me. The Lord has helped me not to take it out, take the trash out with my posing trunks. He said he does everything good, decent good. and in order. All right. So the neighbors are fine with me, man. <laughs> you know, that's actually, so, if, you, if I'm thinking about everything that you've just talked about and the way you presented it, you know, it would be a great title of a book just called How to Take the Trash Out. But the book is really about these deeper things that you're talking about. Yeah. Because there's, yeah. A, like there's a book. There's a, there's a book now. <laughs> yeah. um, it's called. It's called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. And literally it's about, you know, no matter how much you meditate and how spiritual you are, you know, you, you got you to gotta go clean the laundry. That's so right. you just talked about four different topics, your, your spiritual health, financial health, being a champ, not, not being a winner, but being a champion. And all of a sudden there's a book and it's just called 
how to take the garbage out. And that would really, and it encapsulates everything you're talking about right now. Wow, Miles is a smart guy, man. That was, that was really insightful. That's awesome. There you go, Ron. Let That's let the title of your next down. book. Yeah, <laughs> how to trash take the out. trash out. So, Ron, you talked about that early on in life. You didn't, you hadn't adopted this championship mindset, but then as you shifted into the later stages of life, you adopted this. You set goals for everything. You started to work in all areas, all aspects of life. What was it that caused this change for you where you said, you know what? I am a champion. I'm going to be a champion. And by becoming a champion in my life, this this is how I'm going to do it. What changed for you? Well, one thing, I thought that's what I was doing, Steve. I, I, I mean, I really did. And I ended up maybe about 16 years ago, uh, 16, 17 years ago, going through an ugly, ugly divorce, man. Mm. And uh, the marriage failed and I didn't feel so much like a champion, man. Uh, and if if you look back at, uh, at things that happened for a reason, not saying that I, I, um, I regret that I'm not with the woman that I was with because I met the most wonderful person on the planet that I, I, I couldn't live without. And I didn't feel the way I feel about my ex-wife, the way I feel about my wife today. Uh, but I definitely set goals with us and we're always striving to be better. And we're together, we, we, we actually work, we work together, we do our business together, but mm. I laugh almost 24 hours a day. She's the funniest, kindest, sweetest, most beautiful person you've ever been with. I don't know what I'd do. You know, I'm going out of town tonight uh, to meet with one of my clients in Georgia. And when I'm away from her, it's hard to breathe, man. I, yeah, don't tell, what a, her, what a beautiful don't tell thing. her that, though. We'll cut that part out of this episode. So she'll never hear that. She'll never hold that over your head. Now, you talk about setting goals in each one of these areas of life. And I think that that's an important part. But how does a person set a goal when it comes to a relationship? Or how does a person set a goal when it comes to their spiritual growth? I think that, you know, from my years of coaching, those were. I, when I'd say, hey, set these goals in each area of life, people would look at me and say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to have a relationship goal or I don't know how to have a goal with my spirituality. What's some advice that you would give people in some of these maybe intangible areas of life? Well, one in, in, a, in a relationship with a, a spouse, uh, the, one of the easiest things you can do is don't grade that relationship by your own merit. Ask mm. them. And okay. so one thing you could go to them and say, if you were to rate our relationship from a one to 10, what would it be? And I would say it's probably nine, nine and a half. I'm not perfect or anything. So nine, nine and a half. And she says about a seven. I'm like, <laughs> seven. Uh, what could I do to make this relationship what it needs to be? So, you know, I can't make her happy, but I can definitely be a part of helping her to be happy and helping fulfill some of the needs that she has. And then uh, just have that conversation. I think a lot of times what happens is we stop having the conversation and we just uh, just go through life and just hope that at the end of life, we end up with a great marriage. But I think we have to set goals and we have to you know, set um, um, uh, stones in our life that we wanna reach, that you know, we're always striving for. Because if you're not setting goals and going forward, a lot of times you become stagnant and possibly going backwards and just living yeah. life. The way it is. I know a lot of marriages, Steve, that after the kids are gone and grown, you know, they raise the kids together. Now the kids are gone and grown. They look at the other person and say, who are you? You know, I don't know. you. Yeah, it's almost like the relationship never really existed there. They were co-parenting. They were doing a That's job right. together. But then the relationship wasn't there. I, I, I see that all the time. Well, and Ron, and where on, were on you two side. marriages ago? So, so, <laughs> where were you two marriages ago when I needed you? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know you you bring up a point there. I don't think we talk about marriage enough. You know we mm. have some people in our lives that really love marriage and love family. So from time to time we'll get we'll we'll get together. We'll fly out to California. Um, and we'll sit around the table and talk about marital things, you know, things that could make our marriage better. How close do you want to be to your spouse? Who is your best friend? Because if you have a best friend 
outside of your spouse. What that really says is that you're sharing things with other people uh, outside of your spouse. And I think that uh, there shouldn't be any secrets between mm. uh, a husband and a wife that you should share everything. And, uh, and sometimes it's hard to be open and, and, and tell those, um, those deep, serious, hurtful, painful, sensitive things. And when me and my wife got, got together, you know, we, we sat down and we, we talked about the ugliest things, the most beautiful things that you normally don't talk about. And I shared it with her, uh, shared some things with her and found out when I open up to her, she opens up better to me. Uh, and with men, you know, we suffer alone, man. You know, because we're yeah, men, we're tough, right. we're strong. And even in society, you have things like you have uh, Pink Ribbon Week uh, or, or you have races for uh, uh, breast cancer. I never seen right. a race for prostate cancer. I never seen a men's group for prostate cancer, you know. So yeah, we really go through life and we suffer alone and uh, we keep we've learned to be strong and keep it inside. But that's not being strong, man. To have that support and to have somebody that really loves you, that cares about you in your corner, going through it with you because it draws you closer, man. Well, and it takes practice too. And you're right. As men, we we tend to hold those things in, but it does take practice. And you know, in a relationship, you there's there's you, there's the other person, and then there's the other entity of we. We are we have to work together and we have to practice. That's something that um over the last year or so, my wife and I decided that we would get into certain conflicts of, on a few topics where it just became this deadlock. And like, what are we doing? Why are we just gridlocked at this, uh, this point? We're smarter than this. But what we realized we needed to do was practice a form of communication at times where uh, the emotion wasn't very high so that we got mm. used to that form of communication. So every morning when we wake up before I go off to work and she, um, well, she works upstairs. So before she walks up the stairs and I hop in the car um, and go to work, we we have this routine and we go through uh, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication where I share something where I say, this is how I feel or this is an emotion. Here's what my need is. And then here's my strategy. And 90% of the time, what we're sharing has nothing to do with the other person. It's just the practice that we go through every day. So then when emotions are elevated and we're dealing with something that one of us feels uh, is more important, it's easier to jump into that communication style. The funny thing about this, Ron, is when what you're talking about with laying things out on the table, talking about the good, talking about the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, it goes against romantic love. And the funny thing that I, I learned a, a few years ago with Shakespeare, when he wrote Romeo and Juliet, um, a lot of people think that he wrote that as a mockery of romantic love, not as to put romantic love up on this pedestal and say, that's yeah, what yeah. we're striving for. It was yeah. to say, hey, this is idiotic. That's not what love is. You have to work towards love. So to grow in the relationship, you're talking about setting goals. To grow as a bodybuilder, you have to set goals. To grow in your spiritual growth, you have to set goals. And that's all part of this championship mindset that you teach and you coach. Um, but what was it that shifted? I know you mentioned before you had this change in the relationship. But even back before that, you became a championship bodybuilder partially because of the mindset that you had. I mean, you won a lot of titles. And as a guy who uh, got to see some of that backstage with you, there was a different way that you went about things than what other people go, how other people go about things. So talk to our listeners a little bit about the mindset that you take whenever you're tackling a goal or a challenge in your life. Well, one thing, uh, whenever I tackle a, a challenge in my life, I make my mind up that it is the thing I want to accomplish. And there is no, you know, some people say count up the cost, but mm. the mind of a champion says it doesn't matter the cost. Counting up the cost is a waste Beautiful. of time. It's Beautiful. a waste of time. The, the time that I'm counting it up, I could be progressing. I don't want to count it up. This is what I want. And nothing, nothing but death is going to keep me from it. You know, so mm -hmm. that, my mind is channeled. So first I have to, you have to be logical though. One is I have to believe that I can do it and I have to want it. There has to be a passion for it. And once I set my mind to it, I focus in on that. And personally, I'm a, I'm a, a, a single visioner. I mean, I, 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 I have one thing in front of me and that's the thing I'm going to capture. I've learned to, 
diversify a little bit and I'm able to do more than one thing. I'm uh, one thing, I'm more functional now, but I would focus in on it. And like a pit bull, I would go after it and nothing is gonna keep me from it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, even when I boxed for the military, it was the same way. I want a knockout and I don't care what you do, it's gonna happen. So I would <laughs> forward and to the side, never back up, forward and to the side. And regardless of what you threw at me, what I'm throwing at you is going to be 10 times worse. So the best thing for you to do is run. <laughs> I love it, that. It's, it's that mindset that says, I refuse to uh, to take down. I don't know if you knew this, Steve, but my son, I trained him and he's now, he just got his pro card. I remember, uh, yeah. He just got his pro card and uh, he's doing really, really good. But I remember a conversation that I had with him. I told him, he said, dad, he got shot in the back, almost paralyzed him. Wow. And uh, he, um, he, he, he was laying in the bed and, and uh, I talked to him. I, I said, son, he said, uh, dad, I want to do what you do. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want to, I want to be Mr. Universe. I want to do it all. I want to be better than you. I said, boy, it's, it's not going to happen. You don't have what I take to, it, it requires something inside. Steve, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but every time I stood on the stage to win a world, world championship, there were at least two to three people on stage that were genetically better gifted than me. They were better yeah, gifted yeah. than me. Man. I remember I would, we talked about that. And it was the same way with you. When you competed, uh, mm -hmm. there were people on the stage that were better gifted than you that you beat because right. you had me as your trainer. That's <laughs> the only reason why. <laughs> no, you, you had some pretty decent genetics, but there were other people that had better genetics and that were bigger better. than you. Yeah. But yep. uh, you were able to beat because you surpassed that genetic barrier and you and you dug deep and you pulled something out that they weren't willing to do. So with my son, I, I said to him, I said, look at the wall, son. He looked at the wall. I said, what do you see? He said, nothing. I said, that's the problem. I said, look at the wall and tell me what you see. He looked at the wall again and he said, I, I don't see anything. And I said, that's part of the problem. You got to look past the wall. You got to look past the street. You got to look past the woods. You got to look into the jungle. You got to see your success and drag it in, kicking and screaming because it belongs to you. The only thing that can keep you from winning is you. And until you realize that, you'll never be able to do it. And uh, he made his mind up, Steve. He says, and three weeks later, he came back to me. He said, Dad, I think I can do it now. And yeah, we started on the road to training and boom. Got his pro card, man. He's a pro. Now you did. You applied that same principle uh, through all of your competitions. But tell the story about when you won. I, I don't know if it was Mr. World or Mr. Universe the first time, um, and uh, what happened before they announced who the winner was. What did you okay. do? Well, what happened a year prior? It was a year, year and a half prior to competing. I heard about this thing called the Natural Mr. Universe. I was competing in the open Mr. America, I was competing in the Mr. USA and I was beating these guys mm -hmm. at their own game. And there was a guy there that uh, said, all oh, these guys are taking drugs and uh, I'm gonna go to the natural Mr. Universe. I said, what is that? He said, it's where everybody competes and they get drug tested. I'm like, wow, I wanna do that. Where's that at? Oh, it's gonna be, uh, this one was held in, I think Minneapolis, Minnesota. The next year was held in Italy. But um, I said, I'm gonna go to that competition. And I said to myself, I said, I'm going to win that competition. He didn't know that I was natural. So he was saying, oh, these guys are taking drugs. The winner was natural. And so, um, <laughs> and so I started training for this competition. And I closed my eyes, Steve. That's one thing I'm really good at. I see better with my eyes closed than I do with, with them open. When I close mm. my eyes, I can see a whole different world of what it's supposed to be. I knew what my body looked like when I competed, but I closed my eyes and I said, what is it going to take for me to win Natural Mr. Universe? And I saw myself winning my uh, class. I saw him say, Ron, I, they said, short class winner. And I raised my hand first, Ron Williams. They said, wow, he already knew. And uh, what happened was I closed my eyes and they said uh, for the overall, for winning my class and then winning, winning over the other classes, the overall winner, I said, I wanna win the overall. I don't wanna just win my class. I wanna take Goliath down. And so um, I closed my eyes, Steve, and I looked and they said overall winner in the tall class uh, competitor raised his hand and he had won mm. the competition. I erased that off the board. 
And I went mm. back and I started all over. I said, what is it gonna take for me to win the overall? And I saw a body that I've never seen before. My physique changed and morphed into something that I'd never seen before. And when I saw that body, I said, that's the body that'll win. And every morning when I look in the mirror, that's the body I wanna see. And if I don't see that body that wins the Mr. Universe, I'm not satisfied, I need to keep working. So after I saw that in my mind's eye, at that moment, I became Mr. Universe. I'm not working trying to be Mr. Universe. I am Mr. Universe. And I get a- and this was about a year, year and a half before you competed. Prior to, prior to. Right. So I'm Mr. Universe, but I'm frustrated because the only thing that separates me from having the Mr. Universe gold medal is time. And I'm impatient, man. I want it and I want it right <laughs> now. I didn't so know that about you. Oh man, oh my goodness. I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started training. You know, a lot of bodybuilders, they'll do a hundred lunges at a time, but not Mr. Mm -hmm. Universe. Mr. Universe yeah. does 400 lunges. He does 800 lunges. 800 lunges, you, you, do you know how, how far that is? How far that is to do 800 lunges? I, I don't, but what I do know is you used to do lunges around the track. We used to go out to go. the track and we would That's do right. lunges around the track and there was no way I could even keep close to you. So how far <laughs> is 800 lunges? 800 meters. It's a meter per wow. lunge. It's a half oh my mile. Gosh. Half mile of lunges. That's what I would do, Steve. And uh, wow. with this half mile of lunges, people say, why are you doing that? Because Mr. Universe does, but nobody else does. I'm not mm. trying to be Mr. Universe. I am Mr. Universe. So what I'm doing is I'm doing out of being Mr. Universe, not trying to be. I'm that guy. And so probably six months prior to the competition, uh, a, a lady was talking to me. She said, um, who do you think is going to win Mr. Universe? Uh, Johnny Green's going to be there. This guy's going to be there. Uh, all these, uh, you, you named everybody but me. I am Mr. Universe. I'm already Mr. Universe. I was irritated. I'm saying, you know what? Just wait till the competition. You'll, mm, I just can't, mm, I just can't wait. And, and Steve, when we got on stage, they said, short class winner before they even announced, I did like this. I threw my hand up. They said, Ron Williams. Ron, okay, yeah, Ron Williams. And they gave me the medal. I was like, I told you guys, I told you I was Mr. Universe. I told you. And then we went backstage. They said, all of the uh, class winners come out. I went out. They said, guys, this was really close. I, I, I was saying, no, it wasn't. It wasn't close. It wasn't close. <laughs> this was close, guys. And uh, the overall winner, I did it again. Ron Williams. As I told you. Why didn't you guys listen to me? I was already Mr. Uh. The only person that knew that I was Mr. Universe was me and God. That was it. But that, that day, I showed them what had already happened more than a year prior. It already happened here. It already happened here. It was just a matter of time. So when it came to my nutrition, when it came to training, when it came to resting, when it came to supplementation, when it came to doing what I needed to do, it was a beeline. There was no fear. Mm -hmm. Hey, eat a little bit of this. I'm Mr. Universe. I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You know, we had a uh, we had a guest on at one point that uh, coined the phrase, whatever follows, I am follows you. And you just said, I am Mr. Universe. And so that's going to follow you and you're going to live up to that. I, people that don't know you, Ron, or that are, are hearing this story and they're thinking, man, is this guy for real? Um, and does he just have no self-awareness? Um, and, and it just this inflated ego. I mean, you're one of the least egotistical guys that I know you're focused, you're determined, you have the mind of a champion, but I also remember a time with you backstage where, when you were getting ready to go on and you pulled me aside and say, Hey, what do you think of this guy? His legs look bigger than mine. What do you think about this? What do you, and you, you're still aware, you're still strategizing. I didn't sense any, um, trepidation or fear from you but you were aware of who you were going up against and I kind of looked at you and I laughed I'm like what are you talking okay maybe his quads are a little bit bigger but you got more depth you got more definition you're going to be just fine you get out there you win the competition you come back off stage you're like yeah you're right I was I knew it but you had you have confidence but you also have awareness a lot of the times people think about awareness and they say, well, I can't do it because of this. And I think awareness then turns into an excuse. 
and they they come up with reasons why they're not doing what they're doing in life. At what point, Ron, do you think that people maybe are not so much aware and they're just shifting into the mode of excuse and that that becomes the reason why they don't even try? And, and Steve, that's a great question because bodybuilding is a very self-centered sport, man. It's all about you. You're always looking in the mirror and you're always, you know, uh, a lot of people think bodybuilders are very, very secure in who they are. Mm. Some may be narcissistic, but the majority of them were very insecure, man. Sure. I was yeah. in the beginning, I was a very insecure bodybuilder because of where I came from. Bodybuilding meant everything to me. And it was it was my family. I mean, it was winning was was everything. Um, but to answer that question, one of the things when I look at other competitors and I even go to the judges, see, I trusted you is the reason I asked you that question. I'll go to the judges after the competition and I'll say, what can I do to be better? And you'll have a judge say, oh my goodness, man, when I looked at you, I knew lights out, you were the winner. I go to the next judge. The next judge says, well, you know what? You looked extremely good today, but your hamstrings, the guy on the left of you, his hamstrings were so much better. So now I need to work my hamstrings. He gave me my marching orders. So he yeah, just made yeah. me better. So the, so, the, so the judge that tells me, uh, that I've got it all together. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I need that mm -hmm. constructive criticism. And I learned to take it early because if I didn't receive that constructive criticism, then uh, later on, that's going to, that's going to, you know, it'll come back to bite me. Uh, but there, there is a time where people make excuses. I used to have bodybuilders call me, Steve, and they say, Ron, what does your season look like this year? Every competition that I said I wasn't going to compete in, they competed in the ones that I said I'm going to compete in. They didn't because wow. they didn't feel like they could compete with Ron Williams. And so um, those are the people that make excuses. They don't necessarily want to do the work to get better. They want to be a big fish in a small pond, you know, uh, and they're willing to settle for being less than the best. I wanted the best to be there. I want the, I don't want to win because somebody didn't show up. If you're good, please show up. I want to, I want to, I want, I want to test the goods to see if I really have what it takes. Uh, and yeah. if you beat me, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm, I don't take it laying down. And I think that's part remember, of the mind of I remember champions. Michael Jordan talking about when they did the dream team, he, obviously oh, yeah. he wanted to be on the dream team, but he said one of his biggest motivators is he wanted to see how the other great ones worked. <laughs> Absolutely. He wanted to see how Bird prepared. He wanted to see how Magic prepared. He wanted to see how mm -hmm. these guys approach the game. It also, um, it sounds like, Ron, that you, you have a tremendous awareness of details, small details. Because it, when, it was funny when he was talking and he asked you about the lunges and that you had... The, the 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 lunges calculated for how long how long around the track and it sound, it just sounds like okay he has a one a tremendous amount of awareness but also a tremendous amount of awareness of the finer details of how to get things done so it sounds like you can methodically chunk things into little sections and go I'm a success here let me move here let me move Absolutely. here and build on that Man, that's really, really insightful. Uh, and the thing about that is I would count the lunges, you know, every lunge I take, because after that first hundred lunges, the, the, the quad starts burning so bad that you want to quit. But I did 150 yesterday, so I know I can do 160 today. If I did 160 mm. today, next week, I know I can do 180. And even when the pain starts, I learned how to make pain a friend instead of an enemy. Pain is, uh, instead of uh, running from it, I embrace it uh, because I had some pain in my life that I couldn't control, but this uh -huh. pain I could control. I would embrace the pain and make pain my friend. And uh, yeah. as I'm going through those lunges, I have this thought in my head. Um, I think about Jesus going to the cross. I said, his pain was mm. so much greater than this. I can do one more lunge. And if I can do one more <laughs> lunge, I can do one more lunge. Next thing you know, man, I'm doing 400 lunges, doing 800 lunges. Man, what is the limit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it, it would be, uh, I think for you, it would be tough to see what that limit is. Now, I know one of the things, one of the limits you used to push on a regular basis was how many pull-ups you could do. And uh, you completely changed my mindset when it came to training uh, my body and specifically my back, because you would tell me, do as many pull-ups as you can in this first set, and then we'll focus on your form and everything else in your subsequent sets. And I think the first time you showed this to me, you got up on the pull-up bar and did 50-plus pull-ups, right? Yeah. What's the most you've ever done? What, what's the most number of pull-ups that you've done in a single, um, single session? I went to the Arnold Classic one year, and they had a pull-up competition. So... Uh, I think I did 65. Wow. 65 straight. And I won the competition. But the thing about it, I did like 50. Somebody else came and did 50. And I was tired. And they said, well, at the end of the day, we'll, you know, we'll announce the winner. And whoever wins, you know, uh, got the, uh, the award. So I did, I did uh, 50 or 55. And then somebody else. No, I did 50. And the other guy did, I think, 55. So I just went mm. back. I said, I'm just going to go out loud. I'm going to do 65. And, and, and that was it. I was waiting around to see if anybody else could do 65 because I was going to do 70. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was a time where you uh, went up against a, a group of Marines, right, that uh, had challenged you uh, because they thought that this big muscular bodybuilder, there's no way that he could pull his body weight like they could. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about how you beat these Marines. Well, again, it was it was uh, believing. I, I think one of our biggest problems is um, not that we don't believe in God. I don't think that's the big mm. problem because I believe, you know, in America, it's supposed to be 80% of all Americans have a form of Christianity or they believe in God. I think the biggest problem is we don't believe enough in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one thing is if I see something in my head, I'll close my eyes. And if I see it, I'm not satisfied until I acquire it. And I would close my eyes. I would look at them and I would see what they're capable of doing. And I would actually feel the pain of what that set was is going to be like. I know what it feels like to hit 40 reps and how it starts to burn. OK, I got to push through that. I've got to push through that 40 reps. Okay, there's 45 reps. You see what that feels like, Ron? Yes, you've got more than that. You can dig deeper. You see where your body feels like it, it, it's completely fatigued and you can't do another one. You can do another one. So what I want you to do is, Ron, when you get on that bar, you start pumping those reps as hard and fast as you can. Don't pull up and then allow your body to come down. You pull and then push your body down and pull up and do it as fast and as hard as you can. And when your body gets fatigued, you do 10 more before you start to slow down. And mm. so whenever I, whenever I go through that set, that's what I'm thinking, Steve. Uh, oh, here, here, here's the pain. This is where I embrace it instead of starting to reject it and push away from it. I embrace this yeah. and I pull through it. Ah, this is my friend. <laughs> it sounds well, like it sounds like there's no once you get into that place there's no such thing as a limit you know i was i was um yeah i was watching yeah. uh steve knows where i'm going with this i was watching an interview with um david goggins and joe rogan mm. and goggins was talking about um a, a pull-up record and he put on um the rocky song and he was just going and going and he got to this point where he realized, he said, I got to live here. And it sounds like, Ron, you're like that. You get to that place and it's, oh, we got to live here because this is the good pain. This is where we play. And it sounds like you've touched that place. Let me, let me tell you something. Most, this is something that when you see a person stand on stage and they win uh, uh, natural bodybuilder of the decade or businessman of the year, you see the awards and, and we may look at them and say, they don't look much different than us. I mean, we can do what they do. I mean, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know the yeah. pain that they're going through. We don't know how much willpower is being uh, used and what they do. And with me, I think we're driven by several things. Willpower is not what takes you there. A lot of people say, well, I ran out of willpower likely so, because willpower is controlled by logic and reason. Mm. Pain or passion is not. They're not controlled mm. by uh, logic and reason. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is willpower is like a muscle. You can use it and use it and use it. It gets tired and it's like, I give up. I have so many people that I work with that are on nutrition plans that uh, they use their willpower, 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 and the willpower gets weak. Oh, I cheated a little bit. But when you have pain or passion, it supersedes willpower. And mm. I came from a place of pain, extreme pain. My, my life was so painful that, um, and there was pain that I could not control. Being abused as a child, being molested as a child, being beaten, being uh, uh, not having a place to live, being on the streets at 15. I mean, this was pain that I had no control over. But now I have control over sports type pain, athletic type pain, exercise pain. So when I'm doing those leg extensions and the burning starts, I get to control that. You don't tell me <laughs> you're going to stop. Hey, you got 10 more reps. No, that's it. Mm -mm. Come on, baby. You dig deep. I know what it is to suffer pain and to embrace it and to make it my friend. And so uh, with that being said, a lot of those people that you see are uh, athletes that go far and beyond. Sometimes they're motivated and, they're, and behind them is a great deal of pain mm. and passion that drives them. It's not will. But you... Yeah, and you've learned to to take the thing that was dominating your life in the early stages, this pain, and go towards it and control it. And you think about if someone wants to improve their life, at some point they have to get to the reality of what it is that they're challenged, uh, that, that's beating them up, that's holding them back, whether it's a limiting belief or whether it's trauma, they have to own it 100% and then say, okay, I'm going to go live in that space and you've arrived to it. But Rhonda, it's not just about going towards pain and building big muscles for you. For ever since I've known you, you've also talked about longevity. You were, you know, I, I think when you and I started training together, I was in my early 30s, maybe late 20s. And um, you would constantly talk to me about longevity. And I, and I, I thought it was great, you know, but I don't know that I really understood what that meant until I got into probably my mid thirties and early forties and said, wow, things are hurting now. And I do want to stay healthy for life. And you would tell me over and over and over again, Hey, we're just training for great longevity as much as we are for anything else. So what's longevity mean to you? And, and why is that a big part of the message that you preach to people um, relative to their physical health? First thing, Steve, I, I couldn't imagine you uh, being past 30 right now. You look so good, man. <laughs> Thank mean, you. Just Thank look you. really good. I mean, I, it has been over 20 years, man. We've been knowing each other so. that long. Yeah, like, it's a long it, time. It has been because, yeah. Um, but to answer that question, it's always been important to me uh, to look at and analyze exercise. It's always been important to me to make sure I do what's right and what's safe. You know, even mm -hmm. though there were times I didn't do the right things, but I always wanted to, I always wanted mm -hmm. to, uh, you know. Uh, um, so with that being said, when it came to the fitness arena, I looked past the competition because after competition is over, most bodybuilders, they beat themselves up so bad and they pump themselves so full of drugs and they end up dying early or in poor health. I think about Ronnie Coleman, man. Right. I, I, oh. I love this guy, but he is so beat up, man. That uh, So sad I, to see him moving around with yeah. the pain and the debilitation that he has. Or, or even uh, what Flex Wheeler losing his leg and that's right and and these yeah. are guys that are these are tough guys I mean they're right they're tough right. but I don't want to use my toughness that way I want to be able to enjoy my latter years because I'm I've moved in I'm 59 now Steve and I've moved mm. into the best years of my life I feel strong and I'm I'm still uh breaking wreck my own personal records at 59 man life is good man i, I mean life is really good <laughs> that's great but it's always been important to me not to put anything in my body that's not going to help move me towards my goal and all the people that i worked with it was the same thing i want to make sure that i keep them healthy i want to keep them um, in the right mindset not just develop uh, not just use willpower, but how to turn that willpower into a lifestyle for a lifetime. How can mm. we change your eating, not just for six months to reach your goal to fit in that dress, but how can we change your eating 
forever. So I have to change your thought process and your mindset to see food different. Because mm -hmm. a, a lot of people don't realize this too, is we have addictions. And some of those addictions, uh, the, some of those addictions are not just to drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex, gambling, but we have thought addictions and mm -hmm. we develop them early. One thought addiction that most people don't think about is money. Uh, some people think money is the root of all evil. And if you've been trained that way your whole life, you've got an addictive thought process that will sabotage you from ever making any amount of money. So you right, got to get right. rid of that thought process, that addictive thought process. And when you have an addiction, you fight to keep it alive. So first you have to realize it's an addiction, realize how it releases endorphins in your mind, and then reverse that so you can develop a new thought process, therefore develop a lifestyle for a lifetime. Hey, stop yeah, talking really about me, man. You don't job. know me that well. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. Don't be talking about me and my thought process <laughs> and my thought addictions. I just met you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Ron, you talk about, uh, for you, it's a very holistic approach. And I know that, uh, you know, staying away from drugs and competing in natural for as many years as you did uh, was as much of a moral victory as it was a longevity victory. Um, so I'm curious what your take is on, we know that drugs have always existed in multiple sports. Uh, but it's it's been fascinating for me who I, I've been, you know, 20 plus years now in health and fitness uh, to see that there is so much uh, there's so many clinics out there and uh, so many places where people can get uh, hormone replacement therapies, uh, testosterone, uh, human growth hormone um, and, uh, you know, all of these different ways to enhance where they're at right now. Um, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, with uh, the change in the medical community and what's going on right now. Well, um, what it, I don't understand the question. What do I think about? I think that I th this is what I think, Steve. I think that uh, going into a gym, it is so easy for these young guys to pick up drugs. I've had friends that have yeah. actually died from it, man, uh, which has been, I hate that they died, but it's been a real blessing to me because it put even a greater, deeper fear. When I was really, really young, Steve, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I went into a doctor's office to talk to him. It was a, 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 a great bodybuilder at the time. I don't want to mention his name because I don't want to smear his name, but he was a, a multiple Olympic uh, Olympia winner, mm. uh, the other side. And he said to me, man, if you took steroids, you would win the Mr. Olympia. And I said, really? I said, do you take drugs? He says, no. I said, well, uh, no, no, he didn't say no. He said, it's not about me, it's about you. And he said, if you just took, just took drugs this much, it would take you this far and you'd be Mr. Olympia in just a few years. And I was just a young teenage competitor. I said, do you take drugs? He said, it's not about me, it's about you. Don't worry about what I do. And from that moment on, I lost a little bit of respect for him, but I got mm. an opportunity to spend some time with him on a few Christian TV programs. And I really, really love this guy. He's an awesome guy. I couldn't do much with him because when you pull up his name, it says steroids, everything about mm. his name. He's a, a past competitor, but it says he was known for this, this, that, and the other. And so there were some things I wanted to do with him, but it would make me guilty by association if I did. Yeah, right. And I didn't yeah, want right. that. But I think nowadays, even more so, it's so much easier for these young kids to get drugs and uh, they haven't even developed yet. It's almost like where they're, uh, and, and this is controversial. So if I'm a little controversial, I hope that's okay. Where they're letting yeah. children decide what genders they are when there's yeah. only two. There's only two and they're saying mm -hmm. there are a hundred. God knew what he was doing when he created male and female. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I just you know, listen to him. And here we are trying to define other genders. I think that these young kids, if you're old enough, you could do whatever you want to do, but at least allow these kids to grow up 25, 30 years old. But these young kids are going into the gym and, you know, it's, it's and they're able to get those drugs, man, just, just over the counter because they want big biceps and it doesn't yeah, make sense yeah. ruining their lives, Steve. 
Well, and I've seen that. I, I There were some young kids that used to come into the gym that they would go to certain clinics and they would uh, say, hey, I'm, I'm a little tired or, you know, they would give the standard spiel. They'd get human growth hormone or they could start to get testosterone injections as a um, as a legal way for them to improve what they're doing. And these are guys in their 20s, maybe maybe 30s. Um, and I, I, I guess I've got my opinion. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I think that if later on in life somebody needs something to uh, help to balance out the hormones, maybe there, there, there's a benefit there, right? Um, but I also know one of the ways that you used to uh, coach and train me was that there are a lot of natural ways to build up some of these Absolutely. hormones. There are a lot of natural ways that you focus on uh, to help people to get their um, growth hormone, the testosterone, some of these uh, uh, anabolic hormones that are prevalent in the body. What are some of those techniques and the the ways that you focus on with your clients? Well, one is we have, if you're between the ages of 22 and about 80, you have 23 micrograms of natural growth hormone that sits beneath the pituitary gland. But after about the age of 23, we start to slowly decline in how much of it is released mainly mm -hmm. because of our lifestyle, you know? So we actually start aging and going backwards at the age of 22, 23, because our lifestyle changes. A lot of us get married during that time. We stop doing athletics and sports. So we're not releasing the natural growth hormone, but there are three exercises that are, that are known for helping to release and produce your own natural growth hormone. That's heavy squats, um, deadlifts, and strangely enough, sprinting. Pull-ups mm -hmm. would be the fourth one if you're going to use a, a fourth one because you you use a great deal of body muscle and uh, at the same time as you're squatting uh, with this enormous amount of weight, your body goes into a fight or flight mode and it releases that natural growth hormone. The way you eat, you can take um, uh, supplements like arginine. Um, uh, you can take tryptophan. That's another one that helps. If you, if you sleep well, turn the lights out, make sure you have no night lights on at nighttime and you're not under a tremendous amount of stress, your body releases natural growth hormone. If you're stressed and you're worried before you go to bed and you have a night light on, the body doesn't get into the REM sleep pattern or the Delta sleep pattern to release the natural growth hormone. So all of those small things make a huge difference in you staying young and youthful, drinking enough water. The, the number mm -hmm. one thing that ages us is dehydration. We're just like a leaf on a tree. If you take a leaf off of a tree, it, uh, it stays uh, flexible for a while, but the minute it starts to dry out, it, 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 it'll crumble. That's what happens when we age. We dehydrate and we start mm -hmm. to wrinkle. Uh, just like that leaf and it starts to crack rather than bend. So when you're 70, 80 years old and you fall down, you break a hip, oftentimes, sadly, those people are not with us long because right. they have their, their bodies have dehydrated. Babies are about 80% 80, 80 water. But as you get older, you're 65 to 70%. As you get older, the hydration gets less and less and less. So if you can keep a body hydrated, you can keep it youthful. Yeah, well, it's it, it's interesting you say that in his book. Uh, uh, Tom Brady talks a lot about that part of the way that he has tried to stay healthy and play at a top level uh, at a, at an age where a lot of people in his sport are not even on the field anymore is Absolutely. massive hydration and yes. all of those other things that you talk about sleeping well. Um, I Miles, you've got to get rid of your Dora nightlight. Uh, you can't have that anymore. <laughs> and uh, I am. I mean, after listening to Ron okay, talk about this, good. I'm getting rid of it. Or just give it to somebody else. Uh, Ron, you 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 talk a lot about nutrition. You talk about hydration and all of these important things for longevity and health. One of the things that bodybuilders are known for is taking to these massive extremes. So yes. they go very uh, far on the pendulum over here on a clean diet and then they go to the other side of the pendulum on where I'm going to quote cheat and eat whatever I want. I know that that was never a focus for you. You didn't uh, promote 
that idea. Um, but I guess, A, why do you think bodybuilders go from one end of the pendulum to the other? And then my follow-up question would be, how do people develop a lifestyle so we're not swinging back and forth like that? Well, one is bodybuilders go from one one side to the next, one extreme to the next, and they and they go through the dehydration. One, I think, is because somebody did it before them, and they're they're mimicking what somebody else has done. When mm. I competed, I did it completely different. When they would dehydrate, I know what dehydration does. It, it, it ages the body. And you can dehydrate yourself in one competition and take years off of your life. You know, I'm aging myself and I don't want to do that. So what I would do is I would hyperhydrate, Steve. And, um, and what that does is my body gets used to diuresing a certain amount of water. So two months prior to a competition, instead of drinking one gallon of water, I would slowly work myself up to two gallons of water. My body would learn how to diurese two gallons of water. In the beginning, I would get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. But then as mm -hmm. we got closer and closer to the competition, that became less and less. When, we, uh, when it was time to compete, a week before the competition, I cut my water down to one gallon. Hmm. When most competitors cut their water down to zero. Yeah. So I'm still getting a gallon of hydration in my, in my body. So my body is full. What they don't realize is it would flatten out the muscle. Even though it had an appearance, they would lose a tremendous amount of weight by cutting their carbohydrates because to every ounce of carbohydrates or glycogen, there are three ounces of glycogen bound water. So if I get rid of one ounce of glycogen, three ounces of uh, glycogen bound water, which the muscle is 70% water. So if I can keep water in the muscle, I can keep that muscle full. The problem is I've got to get the water from between the skin and the muscle. That's what I've got to get rid of. So if my body mm -hmm. gets used to having two gallons and I go down to a gallon, I've still got the water in the muscle, but not between the skin and the muscle. The body is pulling wow. the water from between the skin and the muscle into mm -hmm. the muscle itself. So uh, I just did it a lot different. And I didn't know anybody else that that actually did it that way. Well, you also, you didn't go on these extremes of diets. You know, I didn't, I never saw you going to Krispy Kreme and getting two dozen donuts and downing yeah. those. Um, why, why do you think, Ron, people in the bodybuilding world go from this extreme of I just eat whatever I want to then I have to go on this clean diet for a few months to prep and get ready for my, my competition? It's, it's, it's part of it is a, an, an addictive thought process. And it's also, okay. uh, I'm going to suffer and then I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go mm. through this, but I have something I can look forward to. It's what helped them get through the hard time. But the way I thought about it, Steve, was this. I thought, if I look good today and I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to look better tomorrow. And if I look better tomorrow and I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to look better the next day. So instead of preparing for competition 12 weeks out, I'm going to start my diet. I would start a year out. I would start a year in preparing and instead of getting, um, instead of decreasing my calories, as I trained, I would actually increase my calories because mm. I sped my metabolism up where my body needed more rather than less. When I competed, I chewed so much that my jaws would get tired and they would hurt. <laughs> I, would, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tired of eating eat so much man i i, I got to get another drink that's why we developed our own um our own food complex so i didn't have to chew so much man i want to yeah. drink my calories yeah. yeah drink it makes it a lot easier for you so you took a longer uh period of time to get ready for your competitions because you wanted that longevity focus you didn't want to lose the hydration so ron there are a lot of people that will be listening to this that are not bodybuilders that don't want to get into bodybuilding but they do want to live a great life they want to be happy and healthy um, what's a couple of uh, pointers that you can give to the standard general population for uh, them to live a happy and healthy life? One thing is uh, don't just live haphazardly. Don't just go through life day to day and hope tomorrow is going to be better. Don't let life drag you through, but you plan your life and live it out rather than letting life control you. You control your life and mm. set goals and start reaching those goals and um, 
Don't let anybody else tell you what you can't do. Every time somebody told me I couldn't do something, it was a license to do it. You know, it was a license to do it. The only reason it can't be done is because you haven't done it yet. Yeah. What great advice. Now, Ron, you're constantly working on different projects. I know that you've got the Iron Chestmaster that has been a successful product. I remember a few years ago you, when you brought a prototype in to see me and I uh, got a chance to try it. And wow, I mean, I've seen a lot of gimmicks. I've seen a lot of products out there. And the Iron Chestmaster is for real. That is the uh, most difficult set of push-ups I've ever done in my entire life. What <laughs> else are you working on right now? What are you, uh, are, are you getting out speaking? Are you coaching? What's, what does life look like for Ron Williams today? Well, right now I'm still, I'm still pastoring. I do a lot of coaching. I write books. And uh, I, um, my coaching is different now. I do a lot of coaching with... Uh, pastors and CEOs, and I have programs Mm. that I set up for those CEOs, their companies. Last year, with one company alone, we lost 14,000 pounds, 14,000. Oh my gosh. Crazy, crazy number. That's unbelievable. And some of these before and after pictures, Steve, they are just amazing. But uh, we're, we're still doing the coaching. We're still developing exercise equipment and we're writing, still writing books. Man, I have so many thoughts. Even Miles, he gave me a thought today. I wish he wouldn't have did that because I'm going to have to write that book. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we got the title of your new book. And, and you know what? One thing I always think is I don't want to die. I don't want to die without leaving my legacy and fulfilling everything that I was placed here to do. And so I'm looking and saying, what else am I supposed to accomplish? I believe that each one of us, Steve, we are a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, an artist or a sculptor, they sculpt out this masterpiece and they leave that, when they die, they leave the masterpiece as a legacy. But I believe God's legacy is you and I, and he gives us the tools to help him build a masterpiece. We're the only thing that he said, I created you in my image and in my likeness. And if you allow me to, uh, to, uh, to build my masterpiece in you, you are my greatest work. Wow, yeah. that's what I wanna do, man. <laughs> that's beautiful. And you, you said you're how old now, 59? 59. 59, and you've got as much energy today as I've ever seen. It's just amazing. (laughs) That's beautiful. Well, on on that note, it's time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest, Ron Williams, uh, for joining us today. Uh, Ron, it's been a pleasure to have you on and to share a bit of your message with our our, uh, listeners. I want to thank my co-host, Tiago's personal chef from Ohio, uh, W. Miles Riley. (laughs) We've had a great conversation today, and we hope that you, our listeners, took something with you that are going to help you on your personal evolution. Now, Ron, what is the best way for people to contact you, to follow you, and to see what's going on in your life as you continue to grow and evolve into that ultimate masterpiece? Well, I've got a YouTube channel, Ron Williams YouTube channel. Um, Your Champion Life. Um, My website is yourchampionbody.com. That's one of the websites and ironchestmaster.com. And I do, you know, personal coaching, but with the personal coaching, it's it's really word of mouth. I don't really... um, advertise that much. I take on special individual clients that I feel that I can help and make a big difference in their lives. So uh, I'm real particular about my one-on-one clients because that's time that I spend away from my wife, away from my family, and that's valuable time to me. So I want to make sure that I'm going to be effective in what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that. And uh, as somebody who got... One thing about you and Miles, you and you attract people like you, man. Miles is a cool guy. I really oh, like he's him. Great. Thank you. I, yeah. I didn't hear much from him, but man, I like you, Miles. You are pretty cool, man. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> yeah, you, I think you, you'd, you'd like him even more in person. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
Well, and as somebody who had personal coaching and a friendship with you over the years, uh, I can attest to the power and the uh, impact that you make on people's lives. I uh, I have certainly been blessed to have you in my life, and uh, thank you for that. So, um, folks, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast. Uh, join us on our Facebook group so that you can engage in discussions with other evolutionaries like yourself who are looking to grow and evolve in their own personal lives. Now, Miles, you look great today. How do people uh, look as good as you? Well, they trade with Ron Williams. That's the first thing, all right? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get clear on that, yes. Let's get clear on that. Just go see Ron. Then we can start talking about how to look good as me. <laughs> um, no, um, as you can see, I'm wearing the red Disrupt uh, shirt. Um, it's Actually, it's a great fabric. Um, um, Steve, we, you and I talked about when I yeah. got my first uh, shirt and put it on. Man, I loved how it felt on my body. But... um. Go to our shop. We've got a bunch of gear. We've got the new evolving t-shirt. Remember, the, the prior shirt just said evolve, which is a declarative statement to go evolve. Now we've got the evolving, which is a process. So those of you who are evolving in whatever it is that you're doing, whatever hobbies, professions you're undertaking, you're trying to get better and you're evolving, you got the t-shirt to address it. We've started our... Um, our kind of French line, our international line of gear with the uh, Coupe de Foudre shirts, which means Bolt of Lightning or Love at First Sight. We've got the Butt um, First Coffee, which is one of my favorites because that's I start my morning like that. Grant, don't judge me um, with my <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just going over to the site, there's a bunch of gear. There's uh, accessories, there's mugs, there's hats. So go on over, take a peek, see if there's something that fits um, where you are and uh, pick up something from our shop. All right, I love it. And thanks for listening, uh, uh, or thanks for our listeners to listening to another Evolve episode, uh, a podcast that challenges personal evolution to our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. And now it's time for you to get out there and Evolve. And Evolve. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we talk to Super Bowl and XFL champion Ron Carpenter. That's next week on the Evolve Podcast.